The Guardian. Order! Questions to the Prime Minister, Mr. Carl McCartney. Thank you, Speaker. And may I wish you, the Prime Minister, and the rest of this House a prosperous, positive, and happy New Year. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Carl McCartney. Thank you, Speaker. Does my right honourable friend the Prime Minister agree that if public servants are having a 1% pay rise, it is only fair that those on benefits should be given the same increase? friend is entirely right. These are difficult decisions that we have to make, but they should be made in the context of the fact that over the last five years, benefits have gone up by 20%, yet average earnings are only up by 10%. So I think, I think it is fair and right to have a 1% cap on out-of-work benefits, a 1% cap on tax credits, and of course the 1% cap on public sector pay. What I think is inexplicable, which is the position of the party opposite, to support a 1% public sector pay cap, but to want more for welfare claimants. That is not fair, it's not right, and they should think again. Mr Speaker, can the Prime Minister tell us why on Monday, when he published his midterm review, he failed to publish his audit of coalition broken promises? We will be publishing absolutely every single audit of every single promise, all 399 pledges set out in the midterm review. Unlike the party opposite, this will be full, it will be frank, it will be completely unvarnished, and you will see it this afternoon. But let me perhaps remind him of some of the pledges. We said we'd cut the deficit, it's down by 25%. We said we'd cut immigration, it's down by 25%. We said we'd rebalance the economy, a million private sector jobs. That is a record to be proud of. I'm afraid he's going to have to do better than that, Mr Speaker. Uh, Because... Because, because this is what his adviser said. This is what his adviser said. He said that they shouldn't publish the secret audit because it had problematic areas, it would lead to unfavourable copy, and it would identify broken pledges. Now, 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 uh, it's a far cry from the Rose Garden, isn't it? Because this is what they said. This is what they said. We should throw open the doors to enable, to enable the public to hold politicians to account. So, so, so have another go. It's a simple question. Was it his decision not to publish the audit? Because, and I quote from his advisor, it would overshadow favourable coverage of his... Favourable... Calm down. It's, it's early in the year, so calm down. Calm down. Uh, you've got difficult times ahead. Uh, not to publish the audit. It is my decision that it is being published this afternoon. Is this this really the best he can do? He's had a week. He's had a week sitting in the Canary Islands with nothing else to think of. What about he can't ask about unemployment because it's falling. He can't ask about business creation because it's rising. He doesn't want to talk about the deficit because we've got it down. He can't ask about welfare because he knows he's on the wrong side of the argument. Mr. Mr. Speaker, 
Mr Speaker, the, the only people who are on the wrong side of the argument are him and his Chancellor who are trying to divide the country. Now, now, now let's, see, let's see if we can get a sneak preview of the secret audit. Let's see if we can get a sneak preview. We haven't seen it, but let's see if we can get a sneak preview. This is what the coalition agreement said. It said, and I quote, it said, and I quote, it said, it said, and I quote, we will stop top-down reorganisations of the NHS. That's a direct quote. Now, now, I think we can all agree that that is a promise that's been broken. So, so can he confirm that's on the list? <laughs> what will be there? 5,000 more doctors in the NHS, 6,000 fewer managers. But the right honourable gentleman talks about wanting to divide the country. The division is this. Two parties that have come together in the national interest to take the difficult decisions and one party that refuses to apologise for the past, that refuses to talk about the deficit, that has no economic policy to speak of. That is the division in British politics today. To say that if he can't even admit that he's broken his promise on a top-down reorganisation of the NHS, I don't have high hopes for this secret order, Mr. Speaker. But let's, let's talk about another broken promise. This time on women. He, he said this in his usual modest way. He, he said this, Mr. Speaker. He said, "We want to make sexual inequality history." That needs, that needs a, that's a big commitment. That needs a serious commitment. It needs clear policies and clear leadership. So will the secret audit acknowledge another broken promise that the tax and benefit changes he's making are hating women? I don't know. I think the part-time Chancellor should calm down a bit too. The, 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 will he admit that the tax and benefit changes he's making are hating women three times as hard as men? There is now excessive noise in the chamber. The questions from the Leader of the Opposition must be heard and the answers from the Prime Minister must be heard. The Prime Minister. He will be able to see, when this document is published, there are more women in work than at any time in our history, that our pension reforms are helping women, that our, our pay, public sector pay freeze, which excludes the lowest paid, is helping women, and that we are helping women with extra childcare for four, three and two-year-olds. But, Mr Speaker, what a contrast between a government that is prepared to publish every piece of information about every pledge and what has been achieved, and a party opposite that cannot even apologise for the mess they left this country in. Say, Mr. Speaker, after that answer, it's no wonder he didn't take any questions from women journalists at his relaunch press conference. Now, now let's, let's turn to his biggest broken promise of all. Let's turn to his biggest broken promise of all. The Chancellor hits hard-working people and the most vulnerable with his strivers tax. But at the same time, he is giving this April a massive tax cut to millionaires. If his audit is going to be a candid assessment, won't it have to admit that he's broken that symbolic promise that we're all in this together? the facts about the top rate of tax. His move to 50p meant that millionaires paid seven billion less in taxes than they did previously. And the fact is, under this government, the top rate of tax will be higher in every year than any year under his government. But the truth about this
Davis when he talks about promises. Let's have a little audit of his promises. Yes, he promised us a fully costed deficit reduction programme. Nothing. He promised us proper reforms of welfare. Nothing. He promised us that he would show how he would have a new policy on tuition fees. Nothing. I have audited all of the government spending programmes and I have identified one where the waste is simply appalling. It is the £5 million of short money that goes to his party every year. We get nothing from it. convincing he is. The, fact, the facts are these. He is cutting the top rate of income tax by an average of £107,000 for everyone earning over a million pounds in Britain at the same time as he's raising taxes on everyone else. And what do we know this week? He's a PR man who can't even do a relaunch. Halfway through this parliament, we know they're incompetent, they break their promises, and the nasty party is back. Perfectly clear, Mr. Speaker, what has happened since the start of this year. It is this government that is setting out its plans for the future. It is his party that is on the wrong side of the argument on welfare, that has nothing to say about the deficit, that has no credible policy on the economy. He's got a shadow chancellor who he won't back, but he can't sack. Nothing's changed in politics and nothing's changed in Labour. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that we should be cutting taxes for hard-working people in Basildon and Thurrock, rather than taking money away from them, only to then return their own money through tax credits? My honourable friend is entirely right, and of course he will know in April every working family will see a £220 tax cut as we lift the tax threshold yet further. Everyone will benefit from that. In our view, what we should be doing is cutting people's taxes rather than taking more in taxes and recycling it through the massive tax credits business. That's what we believe on this side of the House, and that's what will work for working families. John Speller. Mr Speaker, isn't it a clear example of how this out-of-touch out of touch this Prime Minister is, that while the overwhelming majority of the public want to maintain the ban on fox and stag hunting, that he actually plans to repeal it. Can you tell us why? As I explained before Christmas, I've never broken the law and the only little red pests I pursue these days are in this house. Mr Speaker, does the Prime Minister accept that under this I'm sure the House wishes to hear the words of Mr. Andrew Saloon. Speaker, does the Prime Minister accept that under this government we brought in an 11% rise in the child element of the tax credit, followed by a 5% rise, and that our recent rises build on those, meaning a cash increase of £470 in the child element of the tax credit under this government? My old friend makes a very important point about how we focused help on those most in need. But I'd also make the point, because we have lifted the income tax threshold, that someone on minimum wage but who works
works full time has seen their income tax bill cut in half under this government. We're on the side of people who want to work hard and get on and provide for their families. All Goggins. Thank you, Mr Speaker. There are more than a million children living in poverty who do not qualify for a free school meal. And several children's charities are concerned that that number will increase when the universal credit is introduced. So will the Prime Minister take this opportunity to allay their fears by giving a clear guarantee that any child who qualifies for a free school meal under the current rules will keep that entitlement when the rules are changed? I look carefully at what he says about free school meals, but let me just make the point that universal credit would actually be extending help to more people and to more families because it would actually be helping those people who are only able to work a few hours a week and helping them with childcare as well. Jason McCartney. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It's good to see the Prime Minister out running over Christmas and now setting the pace on welfare reform. Training for the London Marathon to raise funds for my local forget-me-not children's hospice. Will my right honourable friend join me in praising all the fundraisers and volunteers for our local hospices and also reaffirm government support with schemes like the Capital Fund for Hospices, which my local Kirkwood Hospice are currently applying for? Well, first of all, can I wish my honourable friend uh, every good luck for the the London Marathon? That is far more than uh, I am uh, capable of, I can reassure him. We are continuing to support children's hospices by carrying on with the £10 million funding. And in this financial year, we've added an additional £720,000. We're also making £60 million of capital funding available to adult and children's hospices. And crucially, in the coalition agreement, a full audit of which will be published later today, we will be demonstrating how we're going to fulfil our pledge for a per-patient funding system for palliative care, which I think will help all children's hospices as they do such important work for our country. Lucy Powell. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can the Prime Minister confirm that single mum Maggie from my constituency, who works all the hours she can in Tesco, but doesn't earn enough to gain from the new tax allowances, will, after his changes to tax credit and universal credit, be a staggering £1,255 a year worse off. The point I make to the Honourable Lady is that everybody is affected by these changes. Everyone on tax credits will be affected by the fact there's only a 1% increase. Everyone on out-of-work benefits will be affected by the fact there's only a 1% increase. But the fact, the question we have to ask ourselves, if we are saving £5 billion through these changes, which I believe are fair, how is it that the party opposite would fill in this £5 billion black hole? What would they take it off? Are you going to take it off the NHS? Are you going to take it off the defence budget? It is time we had some questions from the party opposite. Mike Crockart. Mr Speaker, can I thank the Coalition Government for allocating £10.7 million to Edinburgh's super-connected city bid? This will revolutionise home and business internet use in parts of my constituency like Kirtliston and Ratho. Unfortunately, my constituents are immensely frustrated at Edinburgh Council's year-long procurement process. What can he do to help speed up that process? It is vitally important that everyone has access to uh, broadband and that increasingly we have that overwhelming access to super-fast broadband. I suspect that Edinburgh City Council has seen some of the same problems that councils up and down the country have seen about getting state aid clearance. We now have that state aid clearance for broadband in England, but I'm very happy to look at the situation in Edinburgh. But that has been one of the problems that has been holding back this vital programme. Meg Hillier. You shouldn't have to fill in long forms from the revenue... You're working. You need help. We want to help you. 
I'm sure, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister recognises his words to families receiving child benefits. How many families could face a fine for not, not filling out a long tax form? The, the point about the child benefit change is that 85% of families who receive child benefit will go on getting that benefit. But the question we all have to ask, is it right for people earning 20000 or 30000 to go on giving child benefit to people earning 70, 80, 90000 We don't believe it is right, but apparently the Labour Party think it's right to give child benefit to millionaires. We don't think that's a good use of money. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. My right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, rightly recognises that there needs to be a new relationship between this country and the European Union, and he has said, and I agree, that the British people must be offered a real choice with regard to our continued membership. I hope he can confirm to the House today that it is his intention to seek a fresh settlement with the EU and then to seek the consent of the British people to that settlement. I can confirm that is exactly what I believe this country should do. I think it is the right thing for Britain because I think it's right that we are involved in the single market, we're active players in the European Union, but there are changes we would like in our relationship that would be good for Britain and good for Europe. And I think because of the changes taking place in the Eurozone, which is driving a lot of the change in the European Union, there's every opportunity to achieve that settlement and then seek consent for it. Mr Chris Evans. Mr Speaker, a colleague of Lord Marlon said he likes foreign travel, leading trade delegations, meeting foreign leaders, but he's not too keen on the detailed policy of his new job. Who could that be? Hmm, I wonder if the Prime Minister knows anybody else like that. <laughs> Is that really? He had all morning to think of that. ministers in both houses who are linking up with the fastest growing countries anywhere in the world and that is why our exports to China are up 50%, our exports to India are up 50% and we are connecting Britain with the fastest growing parts of the world. Sir Peter Tapsell. Bearing bearing in mind that uh, bills which uh, may be thought to affect the uh, royal prerogative require the signification uh, of the Queen uh, at second reading. Uh, Can the Prime Minister tell us whether he has yet heard from the Palace, whether it regards any of the major constitutional changes proposed in the succession to the Crown Bill as intruding either on the royal prerogative or on the coronation coronation oath which Her Majesty took. What I can say to my uh, right honourable friend is throughout the process uh, of uh, bringing forward this proposal, which of course is a proposal that the heads of all the Commonwealth, uh, the Dominion realms have also signed up to, throughout that process there's been very, very thorough contact between Number 10 Downing Street and between um, the Palace, and all of the issues are settled and agreed. Dr Alan Whitehead. <laughs> in high flood risk areas cannot understand why the government has effectively abandoned efforts to reach agreement with the British insurance industry 
on future insurance for their homes and fear they will not be able to insure their homes after June 2013. Yeah, yeah. Why is the Prime Minister fiddling while the country floods? I, I'm happy to put the Honourable Gentleman right. The discussions are still underway. They have made very good progress. I'm confident that we will reach an agreement. As he said, the current agreement doesn't run out until June of this year. I'm regularly updated about how those discussions are going. I know from my own constituency, which has been subject to regular flooding, just how important they are. And I'd also add to the Honourable Gentleman that, of course, we put in an extra £120 million in terms of flood defences. And I think everyone can now see that the flood defence work that has been done over recent years has made a significant difference when we've had high levels of rainfall and very high water in our, in our rivers and streams. Charlotte Leslie. Thanks very much, Mr Speaker. Can the Prime Minister confirm to the House that disability benefits are being upgraded as usual and will not be subject to changes? My honourable friend is entirely right. Disability living allowance, which is the key benefit received by people who are disabled, is not subject to the 1% cap. The 1% cap is for benefits that are for people that are the in-work benefits. And I think it's very important we go on paying disability living allowance in the way that we have been. Risa Pierce. Can the Prime Minister confirm that my constituent, who is a nurse as well as a single father to his two children, will lose £400 a year as a result of the Chancellor's cuts to child benefit and other benefits. The, the result of the cuts to child benefit are that the best of 15% families in this country will no longer receive child benefit at all. That is what is going to happen. Now that saves around £2 billion a year. And again, Labour has now voted against £83 billion of welfare changes. And you have to start, I'm afraid, filling in the blanks of where you're going to make up this money. I think it is right that we say to people earning 60, 70, 80,000 pounds or more, you shouldn't be receiving child benefit. It's not an easy decision, but government is about making decisions, and frankly, opposition is about making some decisions too. Mr. Ian Swales. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I recommend that the Prime Minister takes a look at Monday's excellent backbench debate on corporate tax avoidance? And can I ask, can I ask what he hopes to achieve on this vital issue at the G8? Well, I will certainly look closely at the debate and read the Hansard because this is a vital issue for not just our country, but it needs to be settled internationally. That is why I put the issue of corporate tax avoidance at the heart of the G8 this year, and we're also looking very closely at whatever else we can do here in the UK. Stephen Powell. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Further to the question of my honourable friend from Hackney South and Shoreditch, may I ask the Prime Minister what estimate he has made of the number of families who are still unaware that they are no longer entitled to child benefit, particularly bearing in mind that the bill for the first full year's charges will come wafting through the nation's letterboxes in April uh, 1915. 2015. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we have uh, written out to 800,000 families. There's been a huge uh, advertising campaign. This has been properly covered right across the media. But I have to say, I think it is absolutely extraordinary. In a week when Labour are complaining about difficult welfare decisions for people who are in work and for people who are out of work, they also want to make a priority of opposing taking away child benefit from people earning 100, 150,000 pounds. You've really got to start taking some responsible decisions about how we deal with our deficit and get our economy under control. Nigel Adams. 
Will the, will the Prime Minister join me in congratulating the businessmen, the entrepreneurs and the staff who work at the Job Centre in my constituency, whose efforts over the last two and a half years have ensured that unemployment in Selby and Ainsty is down by a quarter since the last election? Yeah. I'll certainly join my honourable friend. People in our, our job centres up and down the country do an excellent job helping people to find work and to make sure they get all the help that they need. And the fact is that the unemployment rate today is now lower than the rate that we inherited at the last election. Over the last year, job creation in Britain was faster than in any other G7 country. Now, we still have a long way to go to rebalance our economy, to get the growth in the private sector that we need. But we are on the right track. A million new private sector jobs over the last two years. The fastest rate of new business creation for decades. There are good signs that the economy is rebalancing. We need to encourage that by staying on top of our deficit and getting our deficit down rather than just giving in on every decision as we've seen today from the Labour Party. According to the Children's Society, up to 40,000 soldiers, 150,000 teachers and 300,000 nurses will lose out as a result of his decision to cut tax credits and other benefits. Why are hard-working people like this paying for his economic failure? needs to remember why we're having to take these decisions in the first place. It is to deal with the record budget deficit for the mess left by the Labour Party. That is the background to this. But the real question, the real question about, about public sector workers, about soldiers, about teachers, about people who, who work in our public services, they are being restricted to a 1% increase. So why on earth does the Labour Party think that people on out-of-work benefits should see their incomes go up faster? you have to answer. We are being fair because we're restricting the increase on, on tax credits, we're restricting the increase on public sector pay, but we're also asking the same of those on out-of-work welfare. What we see as completely unfair is backing the public sector pay increase but wanting welfare to go through the roof. It's completely wrong, it's not fair, and Labour must see they've got to change their mind. Mr Speaker, last week I visited the TH White Group in Devizes and heard about their healthy order book and recruitment plans for 2013. However, like many British employers, they cannot find enough engineers to hire. Britain's universities lead the world in teaching science and engineering, and yet we have an annual shortfall of 60,000 graduates, and 9 out of 10 postgraduate students in those subjects are from overseas. What more can we do to plug this critical skills gap? I think my honourable friend is entirely right, and we have to tackle this problem at every level. That means making sure we are teaching maths and science and STEM subjects properly in schools, and there are signs now that the number of people taking those subjects are increasing. We need to make sure our universities are properly funded and the tuition fees will make sure that is the case. But we also need to raise the profile uh, about engineering and that is one of the reasons why, of course, we introduced the, uh, the, the £1 million prize, the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering. That combined with the 34 university technical colleges, I think will all help to make sure we train the engineers we need for the future. It's uh, more important than ever in Northern Ireland that we seek to continue moving forward away from violence and create stability. And I'm sure the Prime Minister will agree with me that full participation in and support for the political and democratic process by everybody so that people's issues can be addressed and politicians address those issues is absolutely vital. So in that context and in the context of what's happening, will the Prime Minister agree to meet with us 
to discuss the forthcoming legislation in Northern Ireland so that we can look at measures to increase democratic participation by people in deprived communities, look at the deplorable state of the electoral register in Northern Ireland, which is in a bad state, and also deal with the discrimination against elected members of this House from Northern Ireland who play by the rules while others get money whilst not taking their seats. All of that needs to be addressed. To meet with the Honourable Gentleman. Indeed, I have a meeting with a number of members of his party straight after Prime Minister's questions to talk about the vital issue of how we can make sure the military covenant is properly fulfilled in Northern Ireland. He makes a number of points in his question. I would throw back, though, part of the challenge to him and his party, just as I would to uh, others in other parties. We need to build a shared future in Northern Ireland where we break down the barriers, barriers of segregation that have been in place for many, many years. And I think that is part of the challenge to, to take away some of the tensions that we've seen in recent days. Davis. Speaker, uh, just in case anybody was ever in any doubt, could the Prime Minister confirm who he is closest to politically? Is it Lord Tebbit or the Deputy Prime Minister? <laughs> I, I, um, I, managed to, uh, I managed to get through Christmas without um, spending any time with, with either of them, but I am... Um, <laughs> but, uh, to all Conservatives than I am to anyone from any other party. Dame Jane Rudder. Uh, thank you, thank you, Mr Speaker. Yesterday, the Secretary of State for Health received a report recommending the, the downgrading of maternity services and the closure of the A&E department at Lewisham Hospital. Does the Prime Minister recall the Coalition promise to end the forced closures of A&E and maternity services? If this is not to be on the list of broken promises, will he ensure that these closures do not go ahead? What the government and I specifically promised is that there should be no closures or no uh, reorganisations unless they had the support from the GP commissioners, unless there was proper public and patient engagement, unless there was an evidence base. And let me be absolutely clear, unlike under the last government, when these closures and changes were imposed in a top-down way, if they do not meet those criteria, they will not happen. John Barron. The Prime Minister will remember that this House gave the green light for stem cell research some years ago, but we now find that the Court of Justice of the EU is hindering progress by bringing into question uh, the validity of the patents protecting research. Would the Prime Minister do what he can to clear this blockage on behalf of the millions of people in this country who suffer from long-term medical conditions? Well, uh, my honourable friend makes an extremely serious point, and I will look closely at it because I think it is a competitive advantage that we have in this country that we took difficult decisions about uh, stem cell research. It is important that we continue to lead in that area, not only, as he says, for economic and scientific reasons, but because we want to make sure that people with long term conditions, with debilitating conditions, that children with uh, disabilities and other concerns, that we crack those problems for the future. And without that level of research, I don't believe that we shall. So I'll look very carefully at what he says and I'll write to him with an answer. Stephen Doughty. Speaker, is the Prime Minister proud of the growth of food banks across this country, including in my own constituency? Has he visited one? And if not, will he? I'm proud of the fact that in this country there are a million more people in work than they were when this government came to office, that we have cut 
We've made sure that the lowest paid are not paying income tax, that we protected the poorest families in our country. I'm proud of all of those things. But unlike him, I don't look down at or talk down at people who work hard in our communities to help people. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.